Welcome to the All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. We are committed to being rooted in the scriptures and the historic Christian faith and to kingdom life in the power of the Holy Spirit. As you listen, may you be encouraged and empowered to know the Lord Jesus and make Him known. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. So we're doing a, a short series on communion. We're doing part one today, followed by part two in a couple of weeks. And I mentioned in the weekly update that Harrison is going to be preaching next week and Claire the following week, and I'm going to be at the Evanston Vineyard. They have an annual conference, and Amanda and I are going there, and then I'm hopping on an airplane with Steve Nicholson and going to Europe for a week, and I've already asked for prayer on that. I am trying to figure out how to pack pillows in my suitcase. A little insider information, insider baseball with your pastor. I'm a pretty high maintenance traveler. And so I'm thinking I'm gonna go minimal clothing and maximum pillows. I've already talked with Steve and he makes fun of me for the size of my suitcase because he can live out of a dop kit, a travel kit, it's ridiculous. He's like traveling for a week with a little tiny bag and I said, I'm trying to figure it out but I'm gonna have pillows jammed in there and I actually got an inflatable body pillow that I'm taking so I can have that wrapped around my, you know, I can get it, I just sleep better. So God bless Amanda. So today we are going to look at the meaning and power of communion. And we're gonna walk through some helpful biblical and historical background information on communion. And we're gonna talk at different times, communion has various names and various lenses by which to view what happens as we encounter Jesus through his body and his blood. It's called the Lord's Supper. It's called the Eucharist in some circles, and Eucharist means Thanksgiving, so it's a time of Thanksgiving. It's called Holy Communion. It's called the Holy Sacrament. In the Orthodox Church, it's called the Holy Mystery. And so we wanna acknowledge all of those different names describing the same event. And that is the encounter of the resurrected Jesus through his body and his blood. And so what we're gonna look at today, we're gonna do three things. We're gonna look at how communion or the Lord's Supper, and I'm gonna use those interchangeably, how they're prefigured in the Old Testament. We're gonna see a picture of communion in the Old Testament, and then we're gonna see that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, and then it was passed forward through the apostles. And then thirdly, we're gonna see that communion, the Lord's Supper, has been observed continually for 2,000 years. And so what's gonna happen as we look at this, our communion experience is gonna have deeper roots moving forward. We're gonna have these images in our minds and we're gonna think, 
how stunning it is to be able to partake of communion. And I also want to say this. It's not in my notes necessarily, but communion is about the body and blood of Christ, isn't it? But it is a Trinitarian event. What do you think I mean by that? It is about the body and blood of Christ, but is a Trinitarian celebration. That means that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are present. The Father sends the Son, the Son willingly dies, the Father raises the Son from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then as we encounter Jesus through the body and the blood, the Holy Spirit brings the presence of Christ to us. So friends, yes, it is about Jesus, but it's about the fullness of God through the Holy Trinity. So Lord, we do, we just ask that you would speak to us and teach us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask for that spirit of wisdom and revelation. You would open our minds, our hearts, and open the scriptures to us and teach us about Holy Communion. And we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to have us look at some passages, but some of the passages are too long, so I'm going to summarize them. You can open your Bible to Exodus 12. I'm not going to read Exodus 12. This is where we're looking at Holy Communion prefigured in the Old Testament. We're going to see that the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, has deep roots in Old Testament Scripture. Exodus chapter 12, I'm just going to give you a a brief overview of what's happening there. Exodus 12, 1 through 28, but particularly verses 21 through 28, it's talking about the Passover. This is a central rite and symbol in Judaism. It was then and it is now. And as you know from the story, the book of Exodus, This celebration, this festival, is celebrating the deliverance of the Hebrew people from bondage in Egypt. And there's two interconnected feasts that are happening here in Exodus 12. One is Passover and the other is unleavened bread and they're kind of melded together. And the setting here, what is happening in Exodus 12, you know the story, you've seen Prince of Egypt and you know this, but we're looking at it through the lens of communion, through the lens of the Lord's Supper. The setting of Passover is the families are communing in the presence of God. And they're centering this moment around a sacrificial lamb that's being prepared for a feast. And they're acknowledging in that moment that that lamb was a symbolic substitute for them, for each family member to atone for their sins. And that lamb in that festival, in that moment, is a one-year-old male without blemish. And that lamb, so you had to bring your best. You couldn't bring you know, a lamb that was on the brink, but you had to bring your best, a year-old male without blemish And this represented the firstborn males among the Jews versus Egypt's firstborn. And the blood from that lamb was applied 
to each Hebrew family's doorframe with hyssop, with a bunch of hyssop. And that represented what? God's protection over his people right before they're going to be delivered. And it's a pretty ominous story, isn't it? It's a sobering story. A destroyer passes over Egypt. Scripture says it's an angel. And then in Psalm 78, 49, it says angels, plural. And so in the mysterious ways of God, judgment passes over Egypt with devastating effects. And yet, the Lord shelters his people and protects them through the blood that's applied to their doorpost. And also during that meal with each family circled up there, they eat bitter herbs. Exodus 12 talks about this. And this represents for them the years of slavery in Egypt. They wouldn't forget it because they're eating something that reminds them of how bitter the time was. The servitude under Pharaoh, who was a cruel taskmaster. So they've got the lamb, they've got the bitter herbs, and they've got unleavened bread made without yeast. The word is matzo. So you've heard the word matzo. Matzo. And the people before the feast, the family would clear yeast from the house representing purifying their hearts and also to represent the hastiness of the event. There was no time for bread to rise. They did this quickly. And the people would tuck their robes into their belts. They would have their sandals on and their staffs ready on hand, ready to bolt, ready to go. And friends, this is the background of the Lord's Supper. We're gonna see it in a minute. We're gonna take some of these elements and look at them in light of Christ. Paul does this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Why don't you look at it? So we've got some of those prefigured pictures there in the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which are folded together. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, 7. The Apostle Paul, a Jewish Christian, with his mind and heart steeped in these stories, he looks back on Exodus 12 and other places in Scripture, and listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, clean out the old yeast. So he has that picture of Passover in his mind. And he's telling the Corinthian church, clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch, a batch of dough, as you really are unleavened. Look what he says. For our Paschal lamb or our Passover lamb, Christ has been sacrificed. So Paul is looking back at how Christ is prefigured. He's pictured in the Old Testament in this moment, and he's saying it's not a one-year-old male lamb, it's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's what John the Baptist said when he saw Christ, didn't he, in John 1, 29, he saw Christ and he said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So friends, when we come to the Lord's table, 
we are going to think like never before about our roots in Old Testament scripture. We are connected with the Old Testament people of God. We're united to Christ the Messiah and we're united to God's powerful saving deeds in the history of Israel. And we partake of Christ, the promised one, who is our Passover. Christ is our Passover. He has become Passover for us. All of those pictures point to him. He is the one who delivers you and me from the judgment of God. Only by his blood. Only he can bring us into the promised land of salvation through faith in him. So friends, we have deep roots. Holy communion, the Lord's Supper is rooted in Old Testament scripture. I want us to look at Matthew 26 with these things in mind. Look at Matthew 26. First gospel there. And it's a wonderful thing to look at the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion in all of the gospels. But we're just focusing on Matthew 26 here, verses 26 through 30. Matthew 26, 26 through 30. I'm just gonna read these verses here, and again, I want you to have in mind that Old Testament picture of Passover, and it's interesting here, Jesus is having the Last Supper as he's making his way to the cross, and it's right after he's eaten the Passover meal with his disciples. Matthew 26, 26 through 30 says, while they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never drink again I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung the hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. So friends, what the Lord is doing here in this most holy moment, he is transforming the Passover into the Lord's Supper. This is an incredible moment. He's taking the Passover, the most holy festival for the Jewish people, and he is making it the Lord's Supper. He is linking himself and his death to Old Testament salvation history. All the mighty deeds of God, including the Passover event in Egypt, Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of all of those pictures and promises. All the Old Testament Types and symbols pointing to the Messiah are fulfilled in his person. Isn't it amazing? Are you seeing it in a new light a little bit? Oftentimes we're doing it just from a New Testament reading and we don't think about it much. What we want to do is just paint a bigger picture here. We want to realize the depth of our roots, the depth 
the beauty, the privilege of coming to Christ the Messiah, the promised one who transformed Passover into the supper. The first thing he did in this passage, you see it, is he broke the loaf of bread, didn't he? And he gave it to his disciples. And what's he say, church? Take, eat, this is my body. And we know from John 6, Jesus is the bread of life. Like the unleavened bread at Passover, his body is broken on the cross for the salvation of people, to liberate them from their spiritual Egypt, from bondage. What's the second thing he did after taking that bread, like a Passover meal and breaking it, what's he do? He takes the cup. And man, we could unpack this in great detail. There's multiple cups that were in the Passover meal, four of them, and this is probably the third cup in that moment, in that meal. The moment when you take the cup and you give thanks to God, and then he passes that cup around to his disciples, including Judas. And he tells them all to drink from it. All of you drink from it. And he knows at that moment, the prophecies of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah said the day is coming when a new covenant will be inaugurated by God. And Jesus knows this is that moment. This is the new covenant moment. I'm about to die on the cross and shed my innocent blood to save people from all nations. This is the new covenant moment. Isn't it glorious? And we know that Old Testament covenants, when you look back at the covenants that were made with various people, Noah and Abraham and David and others, they were always ratified with blood, the blood of a sacrificial animal. But here, there is no animal, right? It's a human. And so the blood that's ratifying this covenant, this new covenant, is Christ, the sinless one. All of those other pictures point to him and to this moment. So friends, when we come and we drink the cup, we have this in mind, don't we? This cup is special. This cup is glorious. It represents the blood of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. And it should move us. It is the only means to forgiveness of sins. And the fullness of life only comes from that cup. It only comes from the bread, the broken body of Christ. All the benefits of the new covenant in Christ, in the cup and in the bread. You and I come totally bankrupt spiritually. We got nothing. And we come and through the cup and through the bread, he fills us with the riches of the new covenant. He saves us. He gives us a new start. And we want to celebrate this as often as we possibly can. Amen, church? He goes on to explain something that doesn't get discussed much. That phrase there where he talks about, look at verse 29. I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine can be rather cryptic there, right? Hard to understand, can't it? Until the day when I drink it new 
word is good. We long for moments for our hearts to be touched and by this and thinking of his kindness and his mercy to me, but then all the other people that I want to experience that. Do you have people in your life who need holy communion and they need the Lord Jesus to forgive them and change them? I think we come to the table, we come to the cup, we come to the bread with our hearts full, but then we also have on our minds the people that aren't there with us at that moment. Amen? And we want this to be not a robotic experience that we go through, but we want these images, we want these scriptures in our minds as we come to Holy Communion to celebrate. He says there at verse 29, he's not gonna drink of this wine again until the day he drinks it with his disciples in the kingdom. Get this, the Passover looked forward to deliverance, didn't it? Back in Exodus 12, they were looking forward to their deliverance, which was soon to come, and they were looking beyond that to settling in the promised land. And so what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 26 is he's saying the same thing. He is saying... that he is looking forward in the Lord's Supper to deliverance and to life in the kingdom of God with his disciples when the kingdom is fully consummated. It's beautiful. So saints, when Christ institutes or begins the Lord's Supper, it's a celebration. Let's say that together. Celebration, celebration with thanksgiving of Christ, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the kingdom of God. In a very beautiful, tender way, the Lord's Supper combines the sorrow of his suffering with the joy of salvation through his broken body his shed blood, and his victory over death. I want to tell you, some of you need to hear the thanksgiving part, the joy part. You've got the somber part. You've got the bitter herbs part going. But friends, we should come to the table maybe dancing at times. It is something that we're introspective about, and we look. We're going to look at this, 1 Corinthians 11, next time, where Paul talks about what it means to come to the table in a worthy way and in an unworthy way. But I can tell you right now, the unworthy way is not because you're not being introspective enough and heavy. That's not it. Friends, coming to the table means joy and thanksgiving. Maybe it means dancing and rejoicing with tears in your eyes. Both of those things together. If you're coming to the table like the Scrooge, You know, you're dragging up there to the table, and I mean, it's like, come on, brother, sister, do you realize what is happening in this moment? Christ, the Lamb of God, has died for you to save you for all time and filled you with his spirit. You should be filled with joy. You can have tears in your eyes at the same time, but somehow communion has become a somber, dreadful moment where you have to get really introspective. 
Does that seem to be biblical? No, it is not. We come crawling to the table. Let me just ask you, can you be introspective and do self-examination to the extent that you can come to the table worthy? That is ridiculous. How much introspection, self-examination, and somberness do you need? Friends, give it up. You come crawling to that table because you need Jesus. I come crawling to the table, maybe dancing, maybe crying, and I'm celebrating the body and blood of Christ Jesus. Amen? And I think we can do both of those together. Write this passage down. We'll look at it next time. But 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26, Paul, and it's the passage we read every time we take communion together. So I'm going to wait to comment on this until later. But the Apostle Paul is writing of specific instructions that he received from Jesus, perhaps even by revelation, regarding the Lord's Supper. And he recounts the key features, the bread and the cup, the body and blood of Christ. And then he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 that every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we proclaim his death until he comes. So friends, it's celebration, it's thanksgiving, it's joy, it's sorrow, and it's a proclamation of his death. We're holding up, as we come to communion, we're holding up the cross of Christ. And we're telling the world, we're telling ourselves, this is the answer, the cross of Christ. The foolishness of the message of the cross is wiser than any wisdom or philosophy the world has. Come and cling to Jesus Christ, the crucified one. The third thing here, and this one is brief, Communion has been observed continually by the church for 2,000 years. Think about that. Can you think of anything that has been practiced faithfully and expanded at the same time like this? From the early church, the ancient church, the church of the Middle Ages, the church of the Reformation, the modern and postmodern church, has been practicing this, the Lord's Supper, feasting on the body and blood of Christ for 2,000 years. And these two verses here, I'm gonna read them quickly and then we're gonna do one final thing. Acts 2.42, a favorite passage for us here. The early church, the Spirit's poured out, people are giving their life to Christ, they're being baptized, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to, what's the third thing? The breaking of bread, celebrating Christ, the Passover, and to prayer. So friends, the early church was committed to this. Acts 20, verse seven, look at that very quickly. Acts 20, verse seven. Again, it's interesting in the narrative of Acts, the story, this is following Passover, the church is gathering on a Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day of his resurrection. That's why we are here on Sunday, as the day to remember his resurrection. They meet to take bread, 
to break bread and discuss the scriptures with Paul. Look at this, Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we met to break bread, Paul was holding discussion with them since he intended to leave the next day. He continued speaking until midnight. So they had the sacraments, they had the body and blood of Christ being celebrated, and they had the word of God being preached. Friends, we got roots. We got roots in the Old Testament. We've got roots in Christ himself and the apostles, and we got roots in 2,000 years of church history. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Thought we could end with a slide. I want you to look up here because I am just looking for opportunities for us to have more understanding of communion. All right, I want you to look up here. And this is that opportunity right here. I don't know if I've seen this done in church before, but that's all right. Do you want to have a better understanding of what's going on in communion and a little bit of the history? You can look up at this slide right here. You see, these are views of the Lord's Supper, views of Holy Communion. And on the left there, you've got view A. And so for these folks, communion, and this is common in the Baptist church, other churches as well, but for the Baptist church, Holy Communion is a memorial. It's a way to remember And so you're looking at the cup and the bread, and they are symbols to commemorate the death of Jesus. Some of you have a Baptist background, so I'm speaking your language, right? Look on the far right, view D. That is a big word. That is the word of the day right there. Transubstantiation. I'm not going to have you say that. You might throw your shoe at me. Transubstantiation, and that is the view of the Lord's Supper in the Roman Catholic Church and in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And let me just say, that's the two largest groups of Christians on the planet. That's a lot of Christians who have this view right here. So we want to have respect, and as Protestants, we don't want to just say, man, they are off theologically. We want to engage that, listen, and have an informed opinion. But essentially, that view is the cup with wine and the bread actually are transmuted or changed into becoming the literal body and blood of Christ. You don't see it, not in the appearance, but the substance. Do you see that transformation of this substance? It becomes the body and blood of Christ. And in that moment, he is reenacting sacrifice. His sacrifice is being made. Now, I know that's different theologically, but a lot of folks believe that. Now, look in the middle here. The Reformed position B, the Presbyterian church, others believe that Christ in the cup, in the wine, and in the bread, he is present spiritually but it's not being transformed or transmuted, then look at position C. How are we doing? We doing okay with looking at this? I want you to be informed to have not just the scriptures, but to have some of these historical views and perspectives of our brothers and sisters in other churches. That C is called consubstantiation. And this would 
be the view of the Lutheran church. And you can see there, Christ is present in, with, and under the bread and wine. Some of you are saying, wow, this is a lot of detailed stuff. It is. People spent hundreds of years pouring over the scriptures and this event because they cared deeply. And so this has become a point of debate in the church. But I think it's important to know this. Is that helpful? And then I think we have one next slide here. And I want you to see this is where we're situated here in the middle. That's oftentimes the best place to be is to avoid the extremes. And so we are situating ourselves here in the middle. And some of you are learning about communion now. And so I want to encourage you to think through this. Have an informed opinion. Take this. Look online. Search some things. Maybe I'll make some other resources available so you can learn more about what people have taught and lived regarding the Lord's Supper and Holy Communion over the last 2,000 years. Essentially, what I would say about that middle area there, the middle way, is here at All Saints, we don't just think that it's a symbolic moment and we're commemorating. We believe that Christ is present with us, that the cup and the bread mediate the presence of the living, resurrected Jesus, and he's here among us. Do you believe that? Some of you might say, well, theologically, I'm working through that, so let me just say, what does Jesus tell his disciples when there's two or three, what's he say? Two or three gathered, what's he say? I'm there in your midst. So do we have more than two or three people here? So when those elements come out, when we celebrate Holy Communion, Christ is in our midst. Christ is there. And yes, they are symbols, but they are living and powerful symbols that mediate an awareness, an encounter with the Lord Jesus. And so Christ is present. It is a great mystery. He is present there spiritually through the Holy Spirit. Simultaneously, he's on the throne at the Father's right hand, but Christ is among us when we break bread. And so hopefully this enriches our awareness of that when we come to the table. Why don't we stand, church? I would only do something like that and put a slide up so that it can deepen and enrich our understanding of what is happening when we come to the table. And as I mentioned last week, we will continue to have communion every third Sunday and we'll serve it up here and we'll have it for everyone. Those other weeks, we are going to be serving communion over here and I think our team is ready because we're probably gonna have quite a few folks wanting Holy Communion to commune with the Lord Jesus through his body and his blood. So I ask for your patience today. It'd be wonderful if we had it served up here, but if you want communion, you can wait over here. I'm going to ask for the ministry team to come up as well because we're learning to do both at the same time, aren't we? We're learning to have communion served and we're learning how to have ministry time in and around the Lord's table. So ministry team, if you can come up here, I may need some more folks to come up here because we make space every Sunday. If you need a breakthrough, you need prayer for healing in your body, 
And it's been just reiterated. I've had several people come and talk about repentance, coming to the Lord, getting saved, getting recommitted to the Lord. So we want to make space for that. But we also want to make space for physical healing. I think Wallace has something. And then I do want to note what is going on in Israel. Right? It's, it's difficult because these are not political statements that I'm making. They're spiritual statements. Uh, the Father's heart breaks when there's war. Right? The Lord does not like war. It breaks his heart. So I want us to be mindful and prayerful of what's happening in there. It's a thorny issue with Israel and Palestine. But the Lord grieves over things like that. So can we be prayerful today even as we... We end here, and then I'll have Wallace come up. Lord, we do. We, we acknowledge what's happening there, and we ask, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on the people. Would you have mercy? Would you move powerfully to undo the effects of sin and hate? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on the people in Israel and Palestine. We ask for you to pour out your spirit and move mightily. All right, if you want to make your way over to the Lord's Supper, you can do that. Again, it may take a little bit of time, and then we'll have ministry time. Wallace.